Okay, people, it is part three of this week's Echo Chamber. And um, yeah, we've got another independent, right? And then we have a conversation with the writer and the director, right? I think he did a few other things as well. But people, let's get things started, shall we? Okay, people, so we're going to start things off with a film called Crossing. Now, it is um, it's fictional, but it's based on real events, right? Real things that happened to our director. So let's... Let's get things started, shall we? Okay, people. So, just checked out a new drama called Crossing. It is written and directed by Arthur Ian. Uh, the film is produced by Cynthia Grana, uh, Goha. Iketian and Deborah Travino with Ralph Weinfurtner um, consulting. Argo Bayan and Sandra Valade Hansen handle cinematography. Brian Colvin and Anna Cruity edited the film. Adam Henderson handled production design. Scott Hinckley, art direction. Hair and makeup was Liz McCracken, Tara Lang, Julia Hapney, and Hasmik Gazerin. Okay, and our cast... Well, Andre is played by Rudolf Martin. Um, a young Andre is played by Kirill Kulish. Um, we have got Andre's father. Um, yeah, his father. Uh, his father's played by uh, no, actually, dear, 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 I'm a bit confused. Hold on, hold on, people. Let me this will be a better one. Okay, his father is played by Alex Vidov. Um, yeah, and his father in the past is played by Karen Kocharan. Um, his mother is played by Marina Sirtis, and his mother in the past is played by Lily. Vardan. Uh, his aunt Vera is played by Kathleen Gatti. 
Do -do. Uh, we've got Susan, um, played by Stephanie Kramer. Antonio, played by Jaden Maddox. Um, Jane is played by Siobhan Flynn. Um, his teacher is played by Yelena Borisenko. Jennifer is played by Lindsay Payne. Isabella is played by Terry Reeves. Um, his grandfather is played by Vigan Stepanian. Um, one of Andre's friends is played by Samvel Tadavisian. Uh, and Giuseppe is played by Bart Tangredi. Uh, with Gregory played by Alex Vedov and Mikhail Circus Yen. Okay. So the gist of the film is this a young man from a Soviet family leaves his country during the final act of the Cold War to achieve the life of his dreams. 20 years later, he's caught in the cataclysm of the financial crisis of 2008-2009, bringing him back to square one and forcing him to rediscover his family, his country, and his values. Now, I think an interesting part of this is, is based on like a true story. Right, so um, Arthur Ian has put out a, a director's statement, uh, which reads, in 2008, the Lehman Brothers went bankrupt with assets totaling over half a trillion dollars. Their default created a catastrophic domino effect on the entire economy, creating one of the worst economic failures in recent history. Virtually overnight, millions of people lost their jobs, their savings, and their faith in the American dream. Crossing tells the story of a family in a broken system, ultimately having to come together as one and rediscover their values. It is a story of humanity, solidarity, and identity that transcends political and cultural boundaries. It has a particular poignancy in our era of globalization and multiculturalism. This story is based on real events and moments I have personally experienced. I wanted a character-driven story where people were genuine and sincere towards one another as they were in real life. So yeah, there you go, right? And yeah, we, we, we do see, right, these, these different facets of Andre's life, right? Starts off, he's going to parties, he's he's with his girlfriend, everything is golden. But then, you know what I mean? We just see, like, th this whole situation fall apart, right? He's driving and there's just foreclosure, 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 right? Everything is disappearing, right? Friends disappear, just... All of that that you think is real just falls apart. 
So he moves back in with family. And he's, you know what I mean? It, it's one of those situations where you have your head in your sand. You know what I mean? You do not want to look at the letters coming in from the bank. Everything, it just feels like it's a mess. But amongst all of that, his dad comes over from, uh, you know, from Russia. And that changes everything, right? Because his dad falls ill, and then you're dealing with that, right? And we get these flashbacks, you know, he's thinking about, you know, school, you know, let classes where they're talking about communism and economy and culture and just all of these different things, right? And some of the faults that he had back then, right? Why, why do these different classes have to be at war and can't people get together and just all of this kind of stuff? So we, we see him revisiting these past memories, these past family interactions and just all of this stuff, right? And so while we have him, like, trying to work out how to survive, right? How to pay the bills, how to, you know, he's juggling credit cards, just all of this stuff. It's these past memories that give him, like, just that, structure to be able to move forward right and it's the interactions with his dad that reminds him you don't have to just sit and wait for all of this to wash over you right so i i think it was you know I mean? it's definitely done in this poignant way that kind of shows you like just this this past kind of foundation, you know, you can utilize that to build upon. You know what I mean? Like, it's always there. So, you know, him being rich and living this life, right, which he thought was stable, then when it falls apart, and you think there's nothing, it's like, no, 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 no that you learn all of this stuff, right? All, all this stuff from your past, right? It, it, it's there still. You just got to remember it, right? And to remember it, you have to kind of reconnect. And so that's what we see him doing, like reconnecting with family, reconnecting with his dad. You know what I mean? Just all of these different things, thinking about, you know, being in the vineyard, making, looks like grappa, right? It might, it might be yeah, some grappa, some sort of moonshine, right? Just all of these different things, the, these past experiences that kind of you can utilize to strengthen you to be able to face the current situation. So that's what crossing is, right? It, it's just this exploration of self, right? Exploration of who we really are, what we really need in life, right? You know, his assistant this is a little bit wacky, a little bit wacky, but 
is there something to, you know, putting positive energy out into the world? You know what I mean? It, it's, it's, I think there's definitely some validity, validity to it, you know? Because I, I think it's just, it's not maybe that, you know, the fairies, the gods, whatever, will hear it and go, yes, you deserve this. But it gives you a little sign. You know what I mean? When you're thinking positively, it, it gives you a, a different swagger, right? a different walk, a different presence about yourself, which I think resonates out. So, yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> but I did, um, yeah, I did think that this was an interesting, it's an interesting film when you break it down to, like, this moral backbone, you know? Like, you know, you can see it's, it's low budget, right? And it, might not have the full production value of like a bigger film, but the heart is there. You know what I mean? The, the messaging is there. So I think you can watch it, you can enjoy it, and you can take something away from it for sure. The one thing that is very frustrating about this, there are subtitles, right? Because it's English and Russian. And the subtitles, there's no background behind them. So we just get this white text, oftentimes on a light background, and it, it's murder. <laughs> it's, it's murder, right? Luckily, it's not throughout the... Like, it's not constant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Most of the film is in English, which is, you know, helpful. Um, but yeah. Arthur... Sort your subtitles out. But other than that, no, the film, um, yeah, the, the, it's a decent film with a, a very kind of important message behind it. So, I, I, you know, I think, yeah, if you like your, your dramas, like this isn't the big short, right? But it's a film that kind of deals with this economic crisis from a, you know, a more personal point of view. You know, it's a, it's a character-driven piece. So, yeah, Crossing is, you know, it's well worth the watch, people. It's well worth the watch. Trust me. Okay, people. So now... As I said, we speak with the writer, director, Arthur Ian, who is ridiculously humble. Really interesting conversation. I think you're going to like it, people. Let's go. Okay, people. So I am joined by Arthur Ian, the writer and director of Crossing. Arthur, thank you very much for your time, man. I appreciate you stopping by. How is it Thanks all going? Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So, Crossing, right? You decided to make a drama 
but it's based around events in your own life, right? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It's based uh, based upon some events in my life and in my generation. I'm one of those people who left the Soviet Union shortly before it fell apart, having survived the Cold War and uh, moved to the West, to the United States. And then some of the things happened that you saw in the movie, and I thought they would be worthy of uh, artistic reproduction. Mm. So what made you decide to go drama over documentary? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, once all of this happened, thinking back about it, I couldn't have made a documentary at that point. But I guess, you know, having lived in both worlds, you know, having lived in the East, having lived in the West, having gone through the Cold War and the 90s, the era when uh, basically the relationship between the two countries, the U.S. and Russia, improved so much. Uh, with stark contrast to what we're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. So having gone through all of that, um, I think it gave me just, just a lot to think about and inspired me to, to write about humanity and uh, the human ties, you know, ties between people and just basic human qualities, such as compassion and understanding, things that transcend national boundaries and political boundaries. And having gone through that experience through the financial crisis and being stuck in a hospital with uh, with my dad and seeing all this amazing compassion and help and solidarity we're getting from from the doctors in uh, in DC and just kind of living on a fence you know between your past and your your present and the two worlds i guess gave me a lot to think about and i thought maybe it would be worthy of a worthy of a script and then a feature film mm mm so when you were kind of devising all of this Right. What kind of, um, you know, did you have any thought of the start point, right? Where to kind of bring people in so they can connect with all of this? Well, I, I tried to do it as professionally as I could. So I read a lot of books about writing scripts and some of them were very, very helpful. I had a mentor from the American Film Institute in L.A., a wonderful lady who helped me very much. Uh, I also worked with a guy from US, UCLA, the writing department at UCLA. So um, I knew that I can't rush the script. So I wrote many, many versions of it. There were a lot of revisions. And I was showing it to my friends, showing it to, to my coaches, and just really tried to perfect it as much as possible. And I think that part went went well because I really benefited from a lot of criticism that I got, critique rather, and a lot of suggestions. It took over a year, but I think that's great. As one of my coworkers said, it's much cheaper to edit on paper than to edit once you've shot the film. True. Much, much cheaper. Thousands of times, thousands of times. <laughs> yeah. So, like, this is your, am I correct, this is your first writing credit? Yes, it's my first uh, script. It's the first one I've written. I've done a documentary before, but not yeah. a feature film. Looking for Romeo, right? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, right, what made you decide to write this? You know what I mean? Because it's just like, I think oftentimes people work with writers, you know what I mean? Like, right. so how, why did you think, okay, I'm going to write and direct it? Because that's putting a lot on your shoulders, man. That is true. That is true. Uh, well, I made some friends in Los Angeles. One of them was a, 
a young writer from Spain, and I really wasn't going to write the script. I just shared with him, so, you know, some of the events that happened to me in my life, and he said, "Oh, it's great. We can, I can, you know, take a stab at it. I can try to write a script based on those events." But um, he started doing that, and he kind of faded away. So I had to step in and finish it, and then I realized uh, this is something that you know, if you, I didn't want to delegate. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are things that you delegate, like cinematography. Um, I am willing to learn. I'm a first-time director. I know I have to learn from people. So when I speak with a cinematographer, I can just tell him approximately what I, I think I see in the shot and then tell him about the backstory and the feeling, the emotional kind of uh, content of the scene. And then I trust the cinematographer with deciding, making some decisions and showing me some things. But writing, I guess it's very close to home for me. So I decided that one part I'm not going to let go. That and working with actors. I think that those are the two things that for me were very, very important. And uh, I think, I mean, I, I can't really give people advice because I don't really have a lot of experience, but this was a long process. This this film, I was working on it for many years. I think that's one of the most important things for an indie director is to really work on the script. It has to be an amazing script and you have to have amazing actors. That's very important. Casting and writing, the two things that are very, very important. I mean, there are many things that are important but I would just single out these two. Mm. No, that that's true. And I do think when a story is like personal to you, right. you are probably the only person that's able to really get that emotion, how it was, right? You can tell someone what well, these events happened, but you know, they can write something that could be good, but they're not going to be able to really, drill down into that raw emotion of those particular moments so right yeah i can right. see why you w- would want to you know handle that yourself and it's not it's not easy writing is not easy uh i don't believe in writing uh when you don't have an idea we don't have the inspiration to do it i believe in really taking it from life you know mm. just being with people listening to people watching things unfold around you kind of taking it from the universe around you and everybody has his or own own style it's very personal uh, dialogue for example very very tough to write good dialogue and uh, this is something i kind of challenged myself to do it and i hope it came out all right yeah no 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 i, I do think the dialogue did feel real because that's a problem like sometimes if you know you get hi fred yes tim how are you and it that's just right that's right and you're just like oh people do not talk like that like they're meant to yeah. be relatives i don't feel an emotional vibe between anyone a, a lot of times it's very predictable linear and it feels like it was written by a computer mm. and you can see that someone was just typing these lines just to get this done and rush rush it so i, I tried to really take my time with it and make it very authentic and li- bring it to life take it from life yeah so does did like the process for you kind of involve talking to family and having like those conversations kind of revisiting like these periods of your life with other people that were around so you can really kind of get back into that headspace yeah i think it's like mining you know it's like there are all these specks of gold out there you just have to go and mine for them you have to find them and filter them um i kind of sometimes feel like you know the the big guy upstairs already wrote the script you just need to go and learn like from him learn you know and find the things that he already 
did put in place. And that's, that's how you write your script. I have this kind of mystical approach to it. Sometimes I'd wake up in the morning and I have a couple of lines in my head. Mm. And so I've seen something at night in my dreams and like prompted a line or I'm in the middle of a conversation or I'm in a gym and something just goes off. A lamp goes off in my head. And a lot of the, a lot of these uh, characters are real. So I just had to observe some of my colleagues, some of my family members and take all these quirky parts out of them. I mean, uh, Ellen was one of the most uh, likable characters in the film. I spent some time with her, just followed her around, talked to her about her life, wrote down some details, and then I just had to observe her in life. So she came out all right, I think. <laughs> so did the mother's character. Very funny. Mm. So, right. uh, <laughs> where are you? I'm, I'm, I'm standing outside hotel. Like. <laughs> vacancy yeah this is a real thing it actually happened she made me wait by the vacancia hotel near near stanford stanford campus and i spent like an hour bicycling all over palo alto and i couldn't find it she, the poor old lady she thought it was cold vacancy hotel and she's full of quirks like this you just have to observe my mom <laughs> but no that that was a, a great moment because it just felt like you can imagine that happening. That just seems so real. It did. You know? Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, that was great. <laughs> right. But what was the emotional tax on you, like, writing this? Because, like, revisiting these moments, and I imagine, it, you know, not the easiest in the world with some of the things that happened. So how was that? How did that impact, like, you know, this whole process? It was very inspirational. It was also very kind of it brought some peace to me also looking back at these events at my father's death and, uh, you know, our path in life, the way my, our family was divided between America and Russia and Armenia kind of um, it, it helped it. It helped me kind of bring it all together and reconcile with it. Uh, it was kind of a very cathartic experience. I think that's one of the favorite words that artsy people use. It was very, it was, it was catharsis. It was very cleansing and very peaceful for me kind of to, to look at it and, and to see people react to it, to see that people identify with it. It was, it was a great feeling. It's great that when, when you can share something with people, you, you think you've observed something, you've seen something, and then you see other people react to it. And I, I like it. I... Mm. Yeah, no, that must be. Yeah. It, it, after put all the time it takes to create something, you know, and right. it, like you always have that, like, are people going to like it? Did I do, should I have done this more? Or should I have done that? Or, you know, and yeah. then when people first view, there, there must be that just relief that it's out in the world. But then oh, yeah. that people are like, oh, I really enjoyed that. Great job. Yeah, it's, um, it's a very exhilarating moment. Uh, it's very nerve wracking when you first see your film on the screen, even when you do like a test screening for your friends. Um, you know, my advice to future filmmakers would be to like do some shots and shoot some scenes, just put it all together and show it to people and get feedback early on. Because it's very hard. The movie, my, my editor, Brian Colvin, is a brilliant guy. He told me at some point the film tells you what it needs. You get to mm. the point where you look at the film and it's very clear to you what it needs. And it's very clear to you like this scene wasn't really needed. Could have been very short. And this scene is where you should have focused more. This is where you get the stuff that you need. So um, it's it's uh, very exhilarating to show it uh, for the first time, even to your friends and get objective opinion and then work on it more. And of course, you know, they say the movie is born 
several times. It's absolutely true. Absolutely true. The first time it's born when you write the script. The second time, in my opinion, is when you cast when you cast it, because these people then own your characters. They pretty much own your film from that point on. The third time, of course, when it's shot. The fourth time when it's edited. Each of these stages can change the film completely. Mm. Editing, especially. And the fifth time, I think music. Music. Music is also super important in a film. So that's my Again, I'm not pretending to be Martin Scorsese. By the way, my mom calls him Nicolas Sarkozy. She always gets them confused, the president of France and Scorsese. And she's just that kind of a quirky woman. But uh, I don't pretend to be him. But this is just something I learned from my process. Mm -hmm. So, like, coming into this, you know, being a first-time writer and this being your first, like, feature film, what inspiration did you take like did you use you know people's work that you enjoyed as a reference point like did have you watched films and thought i'd like that kind of shot in my film or that was a great sequence that's a great way to start or that's a great way to finish and like did you do that or was this solely kind of thinking about the story that you wanted to tell and going I think it needs this, and I think it needs that. Well, it's an excellent question. Yes, I try to be very thorough, and I try to learn a lot from, from other filmmakers. Uh, I'm a film buff anyway, so I have a lot of points of reference in film, probably not, not as many as uh, someone who has a like, professional film education, but I, but I do watch a lot of movies. So, yes, there were some films on a similar theme, for example, that I tried to, to learn from. For example, there's an old movie, Kolya, with a very similar uh, similar theme about a Russian guy stuck in Prague. There's also a very famous film, Goodbye Lenin, an excellent film, wonderful film, uh, similar sensibility and similar uh, theme. I tried to learn a little bit from it. I mean, you don't want to steal, mm. it's okay to learn. Um, and yes, then I tried to do uh, like a little story storyboard, but you know, different one, not just with sketches, but shots from different movies and kind of conveying the feeling that uh, these shots had you know every film every filmmaker i think has his or her own language every film yeah. has a language and you try to learn from films that have similar line that have similar language you try to get some ideas without stealing um yeah but uh you want to you want to learn from them you learn from cinematography you learn from dialogue you learn from uh, some of the shots so yes there's a lot a lot went into it and i try to be very thorough because i was very conscious of the fact that this is my first one yeah yeah no i i was speaking to um a british director uh jack spring whose film um yeah it's out um this week uh right well, it would have been last week once this comes right but um yeah he, he like the interesting thing was he didn't come to film through like just being this, you know, huge lover of film, watching films. He enjoys film, but it actually started because he's, his dad, there was a period where his dad was unemployed. And so they, him and, you know, he's, the kids would come home from school and his dad had in the garden set up like a camera and they'd make stop animation films. Hmm. So that was his kind of education and, and way into things. And right. so it's just like, I think there's no right or wrong way. You know what I mean? Like you, you can take inspiration from people. You can kind of 
you know, learning. There's so many different ways. But I think when there's a real passion for what you're doing, that comes through. You know what I mean? And I, I think yeah. that's, the, that, that's the big thing. And, you know, I think this being such a personal story to you, like you can feel that, there, you know, this was something that you really wanted to kind of put out in the world. Right, right. And hopefully people would identify with some of the elements of it, perhaps get inspired by it. Well, I, I think like um, an interesting kind of thing is like that this you know andre yourself right that like being at that point where you have everything and every life is pretty good but then it all falls apart it's like realizing that wait you you know how to move forward right there's all of these things that you you know were given to you from you know family and upbringing as a kid all these lessons but right. you just have to remember those it's like there, there's a scene in the hospital room and it's like oh if men in that family don't give up you keep going yeah. out fighting and it's just like yeah it's the the you know you can feel like everything is against you but it's just remembering little things like that that can go no 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 I can, there's still things I can do. So I think yeah. there's, there's yeah. a lot in this film, like regardless of your background, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you're Russian, you know, English, Jamaican, African, like it doesn't really matter. Like you can take that from this, right? Because I think everyone's been in a situation where they felt like everything's up against them. Well, yeah, I hope it came through. Uh, it was a, a time, a very tough time for a lot of Americans, a lot of people around the world, the financial crisis. Uh, it did crush a lot of people. Um, mm. And uh, a lot of people did what I did, you know, moved in with their families and try to survive and make it through. It was the Great Depression. It was the Great Depression. They wouldn't call it that. But we actually went through another Great Depression. Yeah. And it made me really appreciate what's important in life. I mean, one day you think you're a millionaire. The other day you're counting your pocket change to make sure you can buy coffee before you go to see your dad at the hospital. So it's, uh, it was a life-changing experience and it really teaches you some lessons and you start appreciating things that you didn't know that you had to appreciate. Yeah, I, I, I definitely hear that. I, we, um, yeah, we've been through a few recessions in the UK oh. and it's funny because they don't, they don't necessarily want to call them recessions, but it's just like, this is a recession. And I think there was one point in the late nineties and we had two back to back, but because like we never got out of the first one. Right. But then the next one hits, but they don't want to really call it the recession. And so yes, it's, it's very tough. political. They don't mm -hmm. want to use that word. And they called this one, the great recession, not to call it the great depression. Cause by a lot of, according to a lot of sources. And if you look at the data, it was pretty close. I mean, you could see people lining up uh, in DC. There was a vacancy apparently to take care of an elephant, of the elephant at the zoo. And 1,000 people showed up and stood in the line. I mean, you call this uh, depression? I do. I think it was a great depression. It kind of, it made me kind of reevaluate uh, some of the things that, I, you know, I valued so much about the Western way of life and reevaluate some of the things from the, uh, from the other country. Mm. Uh, you know, it really puts things into perspective for you. Um, 
but I didn't want to make a political film. You know, I just I just wanted to tell a story, tell a story, and then have people, you know, ruminate over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that I I think that is you know, in any sort of recession, there's depression, right? Because yeah. when people have lost jobs, you know, they may have lost their livelihood as well. But it's just like, you know, to a lot of people, the job is the identity. Right. This is the thing you get up in the morning, you're there eight plus hours a day, five days a week, sometimes more. Right. right. So that's what you do. So you take right. that away. Then, you know, you have to ask yourself, like, what am I? What do I do? Who like what's my purpose now? Right. Right. It, it, it's it's a crushing blow to your pride, to your identity, as you said. Um, to dignity, because uh, it's it, first of all, what what makes it very difficult is it's kind of like the invisible enemy. You don't see where the enemy is, mm. but he's just destroying everybody's life. And it's not like you got attacked by an army or you know you got bombed or something. You, you don't see it physically. Everything looks okay, but it's this invisible enemy that's destroying your life. And uh, it's also very humbling because you you have a, a sense of loss of identity and you fear you know that you'll end up in the street. I know, and some people who didn't have family members to move in with, they did. And yeah, uh, yeah. it was a very trying uh, time for many Americans, people all around the world. And there will have documentaries made about it as well. And uh, the funny thing is, apparently not a lot has changed in the financial system. And mm. not a lot of people were punished for what they did. So, Well, that's the problem, right? Because people, if... In our jobs, right, we did some of the things that these, you know, financial institutes did. We're sacked. That's gross misconduct. We're done. Absolutely. Absolutely. But absolutely, bailouts, you know, it, it, during the pandemic, all these big businesses who you think would have, you know, the, um, the backup fund, right? Right. They, right. All, got, they all got handouts. But the right. small family businesses got nothing. And you're thinking, That's... if anyone's getting handouts, it should be the family-owned, small, independent businesses. Because the big businesses, they've got all these assets. They've got all this, you know, supposedly they're meant to have these, you know, slush funds to help with these situations. So they don't need it. But, yeah. You're quite right. That's one of the most frustrating things about it was that uh, only the big guys got rescued. There was even, I think, uh, either a book or a film made called Too Big to Fail, uh, which criticized this kind of approach. You only save the big guys. So you don't really care about tens of millions of people who are ending up in the street. But you're only saving the big companies. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that made me think really hard about the kind of this type of capitalism. And I'm not sure that's uh, that's an ideal system. Far from it. You're rescuing the guys who created this mess, but you're not helping tens of millions of people who are losing their houses, ending up in the street. You know, if you and I conceal 500 pounds or $500 in our tax income returns, we'd have a big problem with yeah. the IRS. I don't know what the IRS is in Britain, but these guys got away with swindling billions and billions and billions of dollars. And then they got rescued mm. and they got bought out. And that's one of the things that made me sharply question this particular model of uh, kind of financial capitalism. Yeah, I, I think when you look at all of these kind of models, you know, communism, like capitalism, 
they're all flawed. Oh yeah. Right. Because humans are involved. Absolutely. And, and it's just like you, you know, because technically when you look at like a communism, you think, oh, that should be ideal, right? Because everything's shared fairly and everything's like this. Mm. Or you know, capitalism be like, oh, if you work hard, you can get this. But it's never that because there's always that person controlling it all, going, but I want more. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I want the advantages. And so that's what messes everything up. You, you think you've got a perfect model, but no, someone's going to mess it. Yes, exactly. I think one thing is pretty clear. There is no perfect model. Capitalism is not perfect. Communism is very far from perfect uh, because human nature is the same. The greed is the same. Selfishness and greed will always be part of human nature, sadly, in any country. So in the end, I guess and that's that's kind of the message we're hoping to send with this movie, that it really doesn't matter what country you're in or what, what your political system is called. Uh, in the end, there are people who have compassion, there are people who help each other, there are family members, there are friends, real friends who come together at a time like this. Uh, and maybe that's what's more important than your politics. Yeah, no, it, it, I, I mean, just seeing the way that, you know, the hospital staff helped. Oh, yeah. That that must have been crazy because, you know, being in a oh, situation, yeah. being told that, oh, we're discharging your dad. We're sending him back. We've right. got to put him a flight back home when it's just yeah. like, that's a death sentence. Like, what are you It doing? is. It was. And I must say, I'm still, still so grateful and so blown away by the compassion and humanity of all those doctors and nurses who helped my father. I mean, he did have insurance, but the insurance expired. The insurance expired in a couple of weeks, I think. So in the end, these people were just helping us out of their pocket for mm. several months and the costs were astronomical. I mean, that's another thing that I certainly don't want to go into detail, but as you know, the medical system in the United States is a mess. It's a big old mess. Yeah. Uh, and uh, President Obama tried to make it his main project. But yeah, but in the end, I mean, we these people helped us so much and they took care of us, took care of me and my father. Otherwise, we would have ended up in the street, literally. So um, we're very, very grateful. And again, it's it's people that matter. It's humanity, that compassion that, that transcends national borders you know in any country we, we have that mm, mm. and with all of this right and this being you know a life you know things that happen to you how was the casting right because i'm i right. imagine that like casting anything is you know difficult yes. but casting something that is a representation of your life right this right. snapshot in time you now want to do it complete justice right have people that actually resemble these people people that, and not just resemble because then they've got to be able to carry that character make them come yes. to life make it real right yes. so how was that process for you well, it's very, very important. I think casting is one of the most important aspects of making a film. For me, the physical uh, resemblance wasn't as important, although some some physical similarity would certainly have helped. I mean, one thing we got right was the mother. It's, it's hard to believe that there are two different actresses playing the mother because the mother from the past is played by uh, Lily Vartan, the Armenian actress here. And of course, our wonderful Marina Sirtis is the star of the film. She's playing the mother later on. And they're so strikingly similar 
that some people mm. just think it's the same actress, but they live in different countries. They don't know each other. They speak different languages. It's amazing. So that match worked. Less so for the father and for the main character. But at that point, it was for me, it was important just to match them physically as much as possible. But for me, it was the uh, sensibility of the actor that mattered more than the physical um, resemblance. And at some point, I just needed to separate myself from the story and just look at it at a, as a story and as characters and not not uh, demand that it resemble everything that I have seen. And it doesn't need to be just exactly like it was. Or I just I just wanted to let the story take life of its own and let yeah. the film take life of its own. I think it was important at some point to separate. Otherwise, it would be uh, like a um, ill-made documentary, which I didn't want to do. <laughs> right. So how long did the whole casting process take, would you say? Well, um, I think we spent about a month on it. I mean, looking back, of course, uh, should have taken more time, but we were very lucky with the actors. They were great actors. Uh, and it's very hard on a limited budget, and especially when you're in Hollywood in Los Angeles and you're competing with much, much larger studios, although not for the same actors, but whatever. Mm. Why not? I mean, some of the actors are actually very much in demand. So you don't have the luxury of doing this for months and months. You know, you just have a certain amount of time you have to get on everybody's schedule. So there is this kind of pressure. Uh, but we, we we spend a month doing it. Uh, next time, I'm certainly going to spend a few months doing it. But still, we're very lucky with the actors, I think. They're wonderful people, very cooperative, uh, great actors. And uh, they were very enthusiastic about the script. Mm. This is when your film is born again. It's very striking how you write a script, you imagine certain things a certain way, and then once you cast your film, then these actors take possession of the story. I mean, they, they take ownership of your film. And from that point on, they are kind of co-creating with you. They're collaborating with you. Absolutely, they are. And it, it's one, probably one of the most important decisions about your film's casting. Incredibly important. Yeah, I, I definitely can imagine. Like, what, like, can you think of some significant changes that might have occurred with the script and story once you cast? Um, after the casting, um, well, at that point, it was difficult to make radical changes because then you have your schedule and your producer will not be happy if you start changing all these things around. And, and rightly so, because we're all in a tight budget. We're basically uh, flying by the seat of our pants, I think is the expression in English. Mm -hmm. Idioms are still coming to me. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, you're, you're trying to make every penny count and you're running around, so you sleep four hours a day. So at that point, really changing the script and changing the shooting schedule is a luxury you probably cannot afford. But sometimes um, the dialogue, the actors would do their own dialogue. I would ask them to just say what they feel they should say. And we should let, we let some scenes go a little bit longer. But uh, I really think collaborating with talented actors is a great great way to to do it and i from some of the movies i like from the past and most of the movies are old ones that i like i i heard that that's actually a lot of directors work that way mm. i mean in a very 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 famous movie which i love kramer versus kramer uh, apparently the director asked meryl streep to write her own monologue in the courthouse and it was brilliant it's uh. absolutely brilliant and of course, you know, she's Meryl Streep, of course. <laughs> yeah. And this is an Oscar winning movie. And that's at the time when the Oscars meant a lot. So, uh, yeah. Mm, yeah, I've, I've definitely heard a lot of um, directors say that 
there's there's times when you you know depending on how much time you have like on that day or right. you know right, period right. of shoot you might go okay we're gonna shoot the the the, the script lines and then it's just like now say what you feel and they'll shoot right. an, another version with that and then see what what works right yeah. it's great to give your act actors some options sometimes they would first of all never tell your actors what kind of emotion they should have because that's not directing you can't do that that's uh, you know they're just representing a certain emotion or indicating you can't do that you can't tell them be funny be sad that's that's terrible so you you need to give them an objective tell them what's happening give them a little bit of the backstory give them mm, an objective mm. and then they may have a couple of ideas and i think it's very important to let them go with it and give them some options you know this is one way of doing it this is another way of doing it. try a little bit of this try a little bit of that give them an idea it's a wonderful creative process it's magical when it works with the right people it's this magical process of creating something beautiful together and it's wonderful it's a great feeling mm. uh, Arthur, i've got to say right for this being your first feature like you, you are talking like you know what I mean a, a, a dude that's been in the game for a while. You know what I mean? Uh, like yeah. hey, you're making a lot of sense, and some of the things you're saying, right? I, I've spoken to directors that have done a few films, and they right. say the same stuff, right? So yeah. you know, what thank mean? you. Like it's kind of you to say. I, I try to be very thorough and be very humble. I think it's very important to be humble, hardworking, and thorough, and learn. And I think about 70% of your film is preparation. You need to be very, very thoroughly prepared with all mm. of it. You need to revise your script as many times as it takes. You need to get it just right. You need to cast it for a long time. You cannot rush. You cannot rush. And then you have to prepare a realistic schedule, realistic schedule. You're not going to shoot 15 scenes a day. If you put that on your schedule, you're set for a disaster. You're setting yourself up for a failure. You can't do that. You have to be realistic. You have to prepare it, carefully choose your locations, carefully plan and everything. And once you plan it, then it takes life of its own. So you need to be very thorough. It's uh, there's the, uh, my, my editor, I always refer to him as a very smart guy, Brian. He says uh, there's the fantasy of making a movie and then there's the reality of making a movie. And most people want to live in the fantasy. Uh, they just think they're going to become rich and famous and hang out with stars and go to a pool party in Hollywood Hills. And that's what, 70% of Los Angeles thinks it is. <laughs> no, no, it does not. But they will not. They will not leave this fantasy. They, they don't want to look at the reality of making mm. a film. Because most people, they, they would spend decades trying to get into the movie industry. But, but you can make wonderful films just being prepared. And yeah. uh, it just takes a lot of work. And there's a way to do it. You don't have to just walk on Santa Monica Boulevard waiting to be discovered. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's a, it's mm, a fairy tale, mm. right? So, you know, there's the reality of making a film and I always try to be very thorough. So, like I said, script, super important. Revise it as many times as you feel like it and show it to people and not to your mom because your mom is always going to tell you you're a genius. You need to show, especially my mom, um, you, need to, you need to show it to people, get criticism and don't be afraid of criticism because criticism helps you improve because once it goes on that big screen, it's very scary because you can't change anything anymore. So mm. change it and improve it as many times as you want and choose talented actors. I would do, I would even do some test shots. You know, I would pre-shoot some scenes with the actors because what you see at the audition during the audition and what you see during the shoot are totally different things. 
an actor behaves very differently during the audition and during the shoot. And yeah. once you do a test shoot, you will see a totally different side of that person that you can work with. Also, beware of small parts because sometimes actors who come for, uh, come to the audition and they get a very small part and they think this is their to be or not to be moment. <laughs> and they start acting like this in the middle of the shoot. And and you can't do anything. You're just going to run around. No, 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 please don't do it this way. Please, sir, your breakfast, it has been served. Like, please don't say it this way. Please please don't do it. So be, be careful of that. That can happen. A lot of other funny things can happen. A lot of people underestimate the importance of uh, the sound. You can do that. I mean, we had to reshoot some of the scenes because there were some problems with the sound. You have to be very careful with the sound. You can't underestimate it. Uh, rehearse with your actors, I would say. Super important. Rehearse with your actors and pre-shoot some scenes. Then you'll be ready for it. There are a lot of, there are a lot of tips, but I, you know, I don't want to overwhelm you. No, I think people will find that really helpful, man, for sure. Like, you know, I think you, you said something very important earlier about, you know, not being like, ha be happy, like be sad, right? So when you're filming this or, or just preparing the actors to play these roles, did you kind of sit down and, you know, say, okay, so my dad was this type of person and he'd have these mannerisms and was it kind of this or did you give people music to kind of set the mood for a certain scene? Like how did you prepare people, you know, for all of this? That's, a, that's an excellent point. Music is a great way to direct people. And I love music. I didn't use that particular way of doing it. But I, I know some directors have done it. And it's great. Uh, most of the actors were interested in the backstory. How, how did things happen? What was this person doing? What was he? What was his objective? What was, for example, the scene where the mother comes to the hospital? It's wonderful. I mean, Marina was wonderful, and Alex was amazing too. And I just told, I just told them what it was like, you know, for imagine you're this person and you had all these, you know, things from the past, you know, and arguments and conflicts, and you're looking at each other, but you don't want to say it because in this situation you really can't. This is the time to forgive, mm. and you just, mm, you know, I just. Put it in your eyes, put it in your soul and just do it. And they did a wonderful job. Marina was amazing. That's the magic. It's so magical when you can communicate it to another person and then they take it and they create something with it. And you're looking at it it's like, wow, this was amazing. Marina was really good. And Alex also. And so were the others. Wonderful actors. Wonderful actors. Yeah, that that really was a, a really just great scene because... Yes. It was so much that was said, but not with words, you know, like the placement of the chair, right? Like how far it was away, like putting, you know, the, um, the, the, the cloth in, in, in the top and just all of these little, just little points, right? Just these right. little points. Right. They right. said so much about their relationship. Right. Yeah, our, right. Our second director made a great point, Matt. He said, this is like the, uh, the truce when the mother puts the white um, uh, white napkin on, on the father. It's kind of a sign of truce, reconciliation. Mm. Right? right now, we're reconciling. We're not going to yeah. you know, bring up the past. It was a great scene. They did it very well. It's, it's really magical when, uh, when you work with talented actors and they collaborate with you. It's a wonderful feeling. Mm. And with a scene like that, right, so 
you know, you, you plan out, you know, your shots and everything like that. But like, did you envision it coming out like that? Or, or did you just kind of give them the vibe and that's what they produced? I gave them the vibe and that's what they produced. I kind of envisioned it, but they added a lot more to it. And that's one thing that I had to accept and probably other first-time directors will have to accept. What you see as your film before shooting and what, what it turns out to be will probably be different things. It doesn't mean that you don't have to plan. You have to plan very, very, very thoroughly. But you still have to allow for, you know, for the film to, to start taking a life of its own. Mm. Yeah. No, for sure. And you know, again, like you mentioned the the the, the score, right? The music of the film yeah, is very super important. important. And so how was that collaboration? Did you, you know, because I think when you were talking about the storyboard and, you know, a few directors have said this, that it's not just, you know, they don't just draw it. They'll use scenes and other kind of multimedia to kind of display what they're trying to do with right. these things. So with the right. music, did you use past scores or just music that you like and be like, I envision that for this or like right. how is this for you right it it's a great question i'm glad you brought it up it's very difficult uh i mean we had very talented composers uh we work with and some you know good music that we just got ready made but it's a very delicate very personal and very mystical process because you cannot explain or describe music you can do it music has its own language mm. and the, the, the closest thing you can do is maybe like for me, at least, maybe there are the other directors who know how to do it. I don't think you can explain music or say, I want this to be this way, then I want it to be that way. No, music has its own language. So what you can do is either get some things that were already written or show an example to your composer and then have the composer do something similar. But that's kind of limiting his creativity. Mm -hmm. um, it's very difficult. That part is very difficult. I would say work with good composers and for me it would it would be easier just to take something that they already created or show them something that they have done and say something like this but along those lines because words cannot describe music it's a it's a, an art of its own and it's, it's not something you can you know storyboard you, you can't do that so it's, it's a difficult process mm. and was it kind of like um did it work instantly or was there a lot of no. back and forth to try and get what you needed there was a lot of back and forth it was a long process very long process um a little bit of a perfectionist with a small budget which is why it took so long to make this film <laughs> um uh one, one of the guys i work with our dp ricardo uh, on, a, on another film he said it's either cheap uh, so it's cheap fast and good Choose two out of three. You can two two out of three. You probably heard this one. Yeah. So if you want it if you want it done well, you don't have a lot of money, then it's going to take a while. And you enjoy the process. You don't have to rush. If you're just trying to impress your girlfriend or go to a party in Hollywood Hills, you are doing this movie for the right for the wrong reasons. Don't do it for those reasons. Take your time. But yes, the musical process was very difficult, very long, very difficult. But in the end, I think it came out all right. Mm. Yeah, it, it wasn't obtrusive. Like, I think sometimes you can watch something and it feels very much like, 
this is where you feel sad and this exactly is right exactly right exactly like, right I, I know I exactly what you mean and i hate it scream you know? I know exactly what you mean. Sometimes you feel like somebody's squeezing the tear out of you. It's just kind of guiding your emotions, forcing you to feel a certain way. It should not be that way, in my mm. opinion. I mean, there are other people who have other opinions. In my opinion, it should be very subtle and, and mystical. It should not be direct, linear. Like, feel happy, feel sad, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, now the film is done, right? Just putting it out into the world. Like right. what a like can you look at it and think the things that you might have wanted to change and the and like the the things that you're just like that you're really proud of? Well, yeah, there are some parts of it that feel a little bit stronger to you, some parts of it that feel weaker to you. But it's important, I think, not to get into that mode because I have been in that mode for years and you can't torture yourself. You can improve it. You can work with an editor to improve some things. Uh, music uh, can do a lot. Also, uh, sometimes you use special effects, you know, to, to correct some things. But you can't beat yourself up and you can't agonize over it. There is a point where you have to stop telling people how it was filmed and why this was difficult and why, you know, you didn't have enough time at the gym, you know, to shoot that scene or the truck came late or that day somebody didn't show up or the mic didn't work. You can't do this. I mean, you, you start doing this and for some time it's normal and you, have, you tell your story to people. But, but in the end, they don't want to know. In the end, this is what you came up with. This is the result. You have to accept it. And... Of course, there are things that can be, be done better. I think in pretty much any situation, there are always some things you can do better. But there is a point where you have to stop thinking about it and stop telling stories and apologizing. Uh, understand that people will just perceive it the way it is. And uh, that's, what you, that's what you take and you move forward with it. And you put it out into the world, as you said. Mm. Yeah, no, that's true. That's very true. I re you mentioned the gym. I really like the scene where he has the nightmare because yes. I don't think I've seen it kind of depicted like that before. But I was just right. like, oh man, that just feels like it. Yeah, that intense, crazy, like all you're doing is trying to run and stay. And yeah, I thought, oh man, that's really. That's I had that cool. idea when I was at the gym. <laughs> ah. <laughs> that's why I'm saying it's good to like always have something to ride on. So that mm. when the idea comes to you, you can take it down. I had this yes. idea when I was in my gym in, in West Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> right. I hope it did. I'm glad that you liked it. I'm glad it came through. Yeah, no, I thought that worked really well. Like, um, yeah, because you, you had the dream sequences and you had, like, the flashbacks. Right, like, right, right. With the, with the flashbacks... How did you decide what moments to kind of show in that respect? Well, it wasn't easy. Um, I tried to, first you think about everything that you want to bring in, but you have to decide between things where this, this scene, this particular memory has a bearing on the particular character, it tells you something about the character or it's part of the story. I guess the, the, the phrase is move the story forward. You know, it has to be something that moves the story forward, that's uh, integral to the character, tells you something about the character or the story. And you can't do too, too, too many of them. It is challenging. 
to work with flashbacks. And the initial structure of the film wasn't the structure that you see now. It, right. it didn't start. Uh, it, it started with the Soviet footage rather than American footage. So it was very hard. This part was hard to decide how do you structure it. And uh, my, my actor, uh, Rudolf, the lead actor, had his ideas, and I, uh, in the end, I accepted his ideas. So, you know, it made a lot more sense. You also have to remember that you know more about your story than other people. You assume they know, but they mm. don't know. So it's good, you know, it's good to, to listen to people who are looking at it objectively and saying, well, at this point, you know, it's not, it doesn't make sense. Maybe you should do it this way. It's important to listen. You don't have to accept every suggestion, but I think it's important to listen because people can, quote, save you from yourself. It's also important. Because you assume that everyone knows what you know. It's not true. And you may yeah. be wrong. You may be wrong. No one is 100%, you know. So um, the structure was something that was difficult for me to send. In the end, it changed. This is not how I thought it would be. But in the end, everyone agreed this is the best way to do it. We'll do it this way. Right. Ah, interesting. Interesting. And... um length-wise because I, yeah when i was speaking to um jack the other day he was just like i don't really want i don't want to make a film over an hour and a half that's right i think so, so like, i think that's the right rule of thumb yeah so for you that the length is important i'm sorry i cut you off i wasn't thinking that way but yes in the end um i knew i had a limit i think i was at 85 pages and, you know, there's a rule like a page is a minute. Mm. A Hollywood page in the right format is approximately a minute. More or less, it's not certainly not precise. I mean, you can have two people sitting at a table. That's one kind of scene. And you can have those flashbacks with you know, a boy running in the field and you know, monasteries, et cetera. That's a lot more than a minute. Yeah. But in the end, it's approximately right. I would say, yes, you don't want it too long. You don't want it to be more than like an hour and 30 minutes. Unless you are a world famous director and everybody's going to sit there and uh, sit through your movie, but uh, <laughs> there's no danger of that with me. So. <laughs> uh, okay, so I mean, you you have indicated, right? You, I think earlier you said what, casting, you'll give yourself more time next time, right? Yes, so sir. it tells me that yeah, you're you're planning on making more more movies and and the like hopefully hopefully i mean this is a this is a big project it's a huge project and then there's post-production there's post-production mm. it can take a long time i guess if if you're realistic about what you want to do and if you work you know willing to work hard and you're not going to live in a fantasy then yes it's definitely worth it if you enjoy the creative process then it's definitely worth it uh, but if you want, you know, you want a fantasy of making a movie, and you're, you know, want to sell your house, and you know, use that money to make your first film, that's uh, you want to think about that very carefully. I would say. <laughs> oh dear! But you enjoyed the process, all in all. Yes, yes, it was a long process. You know, we had, we shot the first. There was the first uh, shoot uh, in principal photography, as they say, in Los Angeles. Then we had to shoot the Soviet scenes back in Armenia. Then we did some pickup shots in Los Angeles. Then we did some pickup shots in Armenia. So even though this was a small budget and a small movie, I mean, we shot in two countries for like almost two years or three years because we had to do all these pickups. 
Um, I mean, Rudolph was even joking. He was saying, the main, main actor was saying, Arthur, you probably want me to grab so I can play my own father. Is that your intention? And it was quite funny. Uh, and then we did the post-production in Moscow. We did some pickup shots there. It's so funny. We had, we had American actors playing Russians. And then later on in Moscow, we had Russians playing Americans. It was very funny. We even had to work with uh, some Americans who lived in Moscow, which are perfectly you know, authentic. So it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's, it's a, such a small film, but it, it, the scope of it was huge, huge. We worked with several teams in Los Angeles, here in Armenia, in Moscow. Um, you know, even even that the scope of it, interacting with so many people, so many creative people, was very pleasant. I think mm. if you enjoy the process, this is definitely something for you. Just watch your budget because it's becoming very very difficult to sell movies. So mm. you don't want to spend more money than you can recoup. And I would say you know go low, start with a micro budget, do a short, do like a micro budget film, try to sell it, and then you'll be a lot more realistic about what you can expect. But if you create a script and you put, uh, you know, uh, I don't know Adele's song in it, and uh, you plan for fifty million dollars, you know, it's nice. It's nice to dream, but no one's going to give you that money, and Adele is not going to agree to have your song in it, and you can't cast a star in your film, A-list star when. Uh, uh, just that is going to cost you tens of millions of dollars. Uh, you've got to be realistic. Uh, you want to you know, be a dreamer or you want to be an indie filmmaker. And if you want to be an indie filmmaker, there is a way to do it. It's fine. You just have to be realistic. Mm. And with everything that you knew coming in, right? right was it still this? Uh, was there still stuff that really surprised you about this whole process? Yes, definitely. There's nothing like experience. And I would definitely advise people to do a short film or work on somebody else's film and see how the set works. Because nothing can prepare you for this. It's a very intense experience with dozens of people working in sync with each other. It's a process with many, many, many layers. It's like a cake. Many layers. Uh, so, uh, you know, you will always be surprised, I think, in your first set. You need to prepare. You need to prepare very thoroughly as a director. There's a lot you can read. Um, go to some acting classes uh, so that you can, you can learn on yourself what kind of direction works with the actors and what doesn't. It's one of the most important things you, you, will, be, you will have to do as a director, direct actors. So take a couple of acting classes, watch some other directors, work on somebody else's set, do a short, get as much experience as possible, read, uh, and even after that, there will be a lot of things that will be very surprising for you mm. because it's like getting on a train, fast moving train. Once you get on it, there's no stopping it. Uh, you need to do everything in your power to get ready for that experience. I say, man, this has been really interesting. Arthur, you hope thank so. you so much for your time. No, because I, yeah, I, I did. I just thought, you know, Watching the watching the film, like there's so much that you can get from it, right? It didn't matter what your background was, like the the the, the core values and lessons are, are just universal. So I I really think it can speak to so many people, and you know, just these great little moments, like in the hospital, and just all of these really nice. You know, it just felt like this character-driven, really kind yes. of poignant story. So, yes, that's the word most people use. 
so sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Kevin. I, I no, 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 it's cool, man. No, that's what most people said. It's very character-driven. They loved the, there was some truth to it. There was truth to the characters of the story, and a lot of people, people identified with the characters. You know, everyone has family, and everyone has gone through some hard times, and some of the characters were quite quirky, like the mother's character and Ellen. They loved them so much. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad it amounted to something, and I hope I hope that people will find it interesting, perhaps be inspired by some parts of it, um, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, continue with our projects. Maybe do another one in the future if I summon the courage for it. <laughs> it's a huge project. People <laughs> need to understand it's a huge project. It's a lot of work. It's not just about being, you know, looking cool and being rich and famous. So there's a lot more to this. <laughs> Well, you did a really good job, man. So, Thank yeah, you, you should definitely be proud of this. Like, um, Thank you very much. How can people, like, keep track of what you're doing, right? Where can, where can people find you? Let everyone know. Well, um, I mean, I am on IMDb. I, we have a Facebook page for the film and a website. Uh, we're still working kind of on a, a, web, a website for, you know, my own kind of page. But uh, I think right now, just uh, the film, uh, the Crossing website and the, the Facebook page for the film would be a good place to start. And hopefully soon I'll, I'm already thinking about the next project and uh, it's going to probably take some time because uh, you know me, <laughs> I like to be thorough and take my time with things, <laughs> although I don't have a lot of time left. But uh, yeah, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll do another project and I'll be happy to keep you posted. Thank you very much for your kind words and uh, for very insightful questions. Wow, man, it's been a pleasure. And yeah, when when you've got that new project ready, yeah, be sure to come back and we can have another conversation, right? Thank you. And I'll remember to plug in my computer ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Kevin. Hey, I no apologize. Have Thanks a great a day, man. All right. And you too. All the success with this film. Thanks, Kevin. It's kind of you. All right, man. Bye. <laughs> Okay, people, I told you, right? Arthur is like just so easy paced. You know what I mean? Just like not really under say it seemed like he didn't understand the magnitude of everything he's done, right? A really nice guy, great conversation, you know what I mean? Big up to Amira as well for helping this all go smoothly and is a, a, another one brought to us from aj so yeah you know when she's around you definitely have to go check that out right so people that's the end of part three but but we have one more coming so we will see you in part four all right